Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. Not fearless, but fearless. Because to become fearless, you first need to learn how to fear less in your life. You know, in our world, that 85% of the things that we're afraid of, the things that we worry about, they never happen. Think about that for a minute. 85,000 things, I mean, not 85,000, 85% of the things, maybe there's 85,000 things that you're afraid of, but 85% of the things that you're afraid of, they never happen. They never happen ever materialize. What's more is that one in six, they say are on some sort of medication to deal with anxiety. Why? Anxiety has its root in fear. Those are just the ones that are medicated on it. And so fear is a problem. And what I've come to know as a pastor is that most of the decisions that you make, that I make on any given day are made in response to some kind of fear. We dress the way that we do to try to fit into to whatever society deems as normal because we're afraid that we might not be accepted. We also make decisions based on fear because we are worried that something that we don't want to happen might happen to us. And so all of our day, much of it, is are we going to be accepted? Will I get the promotion at work? Will I still have a job at the end of the day? Will I have enough money to feed my family? These ideas of scarcity. Fear is so prevalent in the way in which we live that it's hardly even something that we recognize anymore. Well, our scripture is going to deal with that this morning, and I'm hoping that before it's all is said and done, that each of us will say, I fear less today because of God's work in my life. Amen? That's what we want. Some years ago, I took my daughter to Lowe's or Home Depot, one of those, and she picked up a hibiscus flower, picked it off of the tree, and she was smelling it. Have you ever seen? There's some pretty big flowers. So she picks one of them off, and she starts to smell it, and somehow the oil from the flower gets on her face, and she gets this terrible rash. I mean, bad. We had to treat it with antibiotics and give steroids for her face to come back into shape because it was sores. It was pretty gnarly. And so after that, though, I noticed that any time that we were in the garden section, whether it be Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart, I would walk behind my daughter and she would come and she would uh, just start running for no reason. I'm like, what in the world are you running for? And so this went on for a while. And finally, I said, what in the world are you running for? She goes, it's the hibiscus tree. I go, it's not going to jump off the shelf and chase you down. You might not want to be afraid of it. She goes, I don't want that thing anywhere by me because last time I got a rash. That fear is irrational. Most of the fears that we have are irrational. They have no basis in truth. They have basis only in so far as we give them basis. We fear for our children whether or not they're going to make it. We fear whether or not we're going to have enough money to make it ourselves. We fear about our marriage. We fear the fact of whether we'll ever find that perfect someone. We fear and have and are afraid about so many things. And these fears, they develop in us this fight or flight response. 
That's what anxiety is rooted in, this fight or flight response that we have to fear. So when something is coming against us, God has put into our DNA that we have two options whenever a stimulus happens. We're going to fight that stimulus that makes us afraid or we're going to run from it. Those fight or flight mechanisms that we have inside of us were designed originally because we were living in conditions where they had bears chasing us and, and alligators, if you were from Florida where I'm at, and, and lions and wolves and all kinds of things. And so you knew that you had to do one of those, you had one of those responses that would come as a result of that fear stimulus. The problem is, is that our world is much safer. But even though the world is much safer, we feel that there are threats all the time. You turn on the news and you can't help but fear the threats that they say are impending. The doom that we are all subject to. And yet scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that God has not given us a spirit of fear. If God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, then the better question is, is who then gives it? If he's given us a, a, a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind, and yet fear is what it is that God hasn't given us, we have to recognize two things. Number one, we have a real adversary that's at work that wants you afraid. Why? Because fear will keep you from your purpose. Fear will keep you from the things that God wants for your life, the blessings that he intends for you. And second, we have to deal with the parts of us that are so subject to the powers of fear. We all deal with them. You may have made decisions today, this morning even, in part based on fear. What are you afraid of? What fears have you brought into this place? You're like, I'm not afraid of anything. We explore long enough and we will find your trigger as well. What we learn about fear is this, is that all fear has a trigger. There's a moment in our lives, and sometimes it's so subconscious that we don't even recognize its inception into our hearts. Many, uh, I, I have a, a two-year-old now, and she's deathly afraid of bugs, but I know where the inception of that fear came from because her nanny who's sitting here on the front row is deathly afraid of bugs and roaches. And so when she sees them, she screams. And now my daughter, who's two years old, has learned fear because of somebody else. We all have inception. I ain't hating on her. She's been real brave lately and picking up bugs and showing them to her and all kinds of things to try to remove the fear. And that's what I do with my children all the time is that they fall off the bike, bicycle. First thing I do is you're getting back on it. Why? Because I don't want them to be governed by fear. And God today is wanting you to get back on your life and on your purpose that's been hijacked from your life because fear has taken a hold. Our passage today invites us into a narrative that helps us to deal directly with the strength of fear at its height. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. We're going to read in just a moment. I'm going to set this up for you. David and his men have just been fired from their job. They're warriors. Warriors go to war. There's only one problem. They were warring for the enemy, the Philistines. And the reason that they were warring for the enemy, the Philistines, is because David, in fear, ran from Saul, who was trying to kill him. Scripture says that Saul thrust spears at David while he was trying to ease his heart and his conscience because he himself was riddled with anxiety and overwhelmed with emotion. 
And David is running for his life because he knows that Saul is after his life, wants him dead. And so in fear, he runs. But when he runs, he doesn't go by himself. Along the way, he's met some people. And part of them are these 600 warriors that joined with him as a band of brothers to now fight for the enemy. Now there's something to be said about this because what is it about David that feels like he needs to run away from home, from the place where God's presence had decidedly decided to covenant with these people? What was it like? How bad did it get for him to feel like he needed to leave home? And how many times through the years have we left home because we're afraid? We're afraid of what the future might look like, afraid of what the next outcome might be, afraid of rejection, afraid of failure, afraid of things. And so we go and we join the other side. That's what David's doing. But now the other side doesn't even want him. There's something about the power of God when God's hands on your life that even when you try to live in the world and nothing brings comfort, you can be out on Friday night in a club and feel disoriented in your own heart because you know you don't fit and David knows he's a misfit and now he's being fired. Fired from the people that he ran to when he himself was in trouble. And now they're on their way home. They're discouraged. They're looking for some respite looking for comfort in the arms of their wives and the smile of their children to maybe put to use some of the spoils from past battles. So they're going home for soul food, comfort food to be restored. And we pick up our reading there, verse one. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Najib and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept until they had no strength left to weep. I want to hang out just for a minute here. I feel like sometimes when we read scripture, we don't sit in the white space quite long enough because in our hearts, we want to resolve this dissonance that we feel, that we hear in the text. These warriors, 600 strong, have wept aloud. These grown men, known for their might, knowing for their warring prowess, are now at the bitter end of their emotional strength. They have wept until there is no more strength to weep. Have you ever wept like that? before. Has sorrow so plagued your soul after some bad news that you didn't know how to handle after yet one more failure, after one more uh, trust that you had given and only to be met with more resistance and more despair and more hopelessness? Have you ever been to that place? 
If you have, maybe we can sit for a while with David and these 600 warriors, this band of brothers who've returned home to be with their wives and their children and to have the joy of family only to find that it's all gone. Can we just sit here for a minute? With those that weep aloud when it seems like all of their hope has been sucked out of the room. When following who they heard would be the next king has led them to complete and utter loss. When trusting in this way has finally left them completely and totally broken. That's where we're at. And I think if we don't rush the text, but just sit in it for just a minute, we can maybe find our own identification point with it. Verse five says that David's two wives had been captured. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. So it's not just the men that have lost. David's lost. David, verse six, was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. David's distressed. That word is a really strong word in Hebrew and what it means is that you are fearing for your life. The peril of what it is that you are facing is so great, is so overwhelming that you are living under a weight, if you will, of stress and being pressed. And imagine this. These are the only people that David has left in his life. The only ones he can look to. The only ones he can trust. There's 600 of them. That's all he has left in the world is these and now they want to kill him because they're bitter in spirit because of their loss. Even sometimes those that are closest to us can wound us. Even sometimes those that should be for us are against us. Even sometimes those that we have put our confidence in will fail us. Could you blame them though? What is following you, David, gotten us? You said you were going to be the king. The king, the, the real king, is trying to kill you. So we followed you because we believed in you to the Philistine camp and we worked with you and we were fighting against our own country because we believed in you. But look what believing in you has brought us. We're about to get stoned. Believing that you can make a turnaround has caused us to have to pay more than we have to pay. Trying to bail you out of jail get you out of that bad deal. It's cost us too much. This is where David is. Would we say that he has real reasons to be afraid, to be distressed? Yeah. But the verse doesn't end there. It picks up, but David found strength in the Lord. 
David does something. Part of this fearless mechanism inside of him begins with the moment that he decides that he's not going to look for strength in something internal within himself because he knows that there he is morally, spiritually, and emotionally bankrupt. He has nothing, no muscle, no, no power, no, no thought process that can help him overcome the trap that he has found himself in. There is no way out. He has no wife, no, no children, no family member, no one to find encouragement in. And sometimes that's the very best place that we can be. Because when the end of everything that we put our trust in comes to bear, we can finally put our trust in the one who alone holds our destiny, our future in his hands. This is where David is emotionally. And he encourages himself in the Lord. I imagine here he's starting to lean back into his own life, into the promises that he'd heard from the Lord. When Samuel had taken the horn of oil some years ago that seemed like a distant memory and couldn't feel less true than in this moment. But when Samuel took that horn of oil and called him out from the field when his father didn't think enough of him to bring him home. When Samuel asked for all of his sons, even there he saw that God saw him there and had poured the oil on him and said, you are going to be the next king. He's encouraging himself in the Lord, remembering his identity and who he is in Christ. That God has said that he is a king. And this saying begins to bring some strength to him. This is the way that I imagine it. He recognizes that the one that called him is sufficient enough to bring him through. That even in a place where there is great threat for life, or for happiness or for hope that even here God's promise was good and I want to just lean into that for a moment because sometimes we can go through some seasons where it feels like God's promises over our life are not true our lies but if we will lean in and remember that the source of our help and our hope comes from the, the God of the universe that commands the morning that spoke the universe into being that we can find new strength to trust yet again David, I believe, was so convinced that he knew that even if these men were to take those stones and throw them, that every one of them would miss them. Or if they hit them, they'd bounce off. Because he was able to find strength in the Lord. To find strength, though, there's some things that we've got to avoid. When fear comes, sometimes one of our tactics to try to deal with it is denial. We deny that there's a problem. I don't have diabetes. I don't stand on that report. None of the blood test says you do. I, I don't have a, a problem in my marriage. It's not there. We fight all the time, but it's not a problem. If she would just do what I say, we wouldn't have any problems. Amen. All the men in the house say, amen, brother, pastor. I hear that. I hear that. But we deny the problem. We deny it. We deny it's, in, its place, its purchase, its hold on our lives. We deny it. And so in denying it, we don't deal with it. Because there's not a problem, you see. I don't have a problem. My kids aren't strung out on drugs. I don't have a financial issue. I don't have a spending problem. The banks just won't keep lending me money. It's their problem. If they would just lend me more, I could keep spending. And so we deny the issue. And in denying the issue, we fail to deal with the issue. David's not in denial here. 
He recognizes clearly what is at stake. His life, his future, the call of God, everything that he has lived for to this moment. His relationship with his fellow warriors is at stake. He's not denying the problem. He's owning it. We have an issue. Denial will always cost you. We've known those people that deny that the problem exists, but they're, they're, denial has a cousin that's also a problem. It's not, it's not quite the same, but it's avoidance. I recognize that there's a problem here. I can confess that I've got an issue in my marriage, but I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to go around the problem. I'm going to pretend it's not there. This is not going to stop me from it, so we just always try to go around it go around our problems, not actually ever dealing with them. And when we don't deal with our problems and constantly try to avoid them, what happens is, is that avoiding them, you can't avoid them enough because at every turn, it somehow, it always shows its ugly head again and again and again. When fear shows up in your life, avoiding the fear will not help you to find victory over it. You have to deal with it. I had a friend of mine, his name is Brian, and he had a huge problem in his life, but he was avoiding it. He had, early in his marriage, had an affair on his wife, and he was tormented by his behavior, tormented by the secret that he was keeping inside of his heart. When would his wife would ask him about his fidelity, he would say, yes, I'm faithful to you. You are the only one that I have eyes for. But internally, every time he said it, it was like it was hollow because it was. He had been unfaithful. He had not lived into the virtue that he had pledged to her to live into. And avoiding the problem was destroying him. It was affecting him on the job. He couldn't land a job because he was always dealing with this internal problem. He wasn't owning his issues and in failing to own his issues, he knew and, and was trapped because he wasn't ever make, able to make progress. And it was affecting his relationship with God because even when he was trying to make progress, the enemy kept reminding him of his past failure. So even though he felt like God could help him get through it, the fact that he wasn't dealing with it was owning him. So Brian... One day, after talking to myself and another friend, said, you know what? No matter the consequence, I've got to confront this issue because it's stopping me in my life. He approaches his wife and he says, I've got to tell you something. Early in our marriage, in a drunken, stupid stupor, I did something that was terrible. I broke the fidelity of our relationship. And she said, I knew you did. I knew you did. You'd been hiding it from me the whole time, but now that this secret is out, we can begin to work on it. She offered him forgiveness, and they began a new start together, and this couple became a power couple because forgiveness was able to come when he stopped avoiding the issue. What are you avoiding? Maybe yours isn't that severe, but what fears are you avoiding? That risk that you're supposed to take, that you're afraid won't measure out, that that word that of discouragement that constantly rings in your ears every time you pay, you try to make progress you hear those words of that person that told you you'd never make it you'd never get through it's time to deal with that stuff the third is worry denial avoidance and worry 
if 85% of the things that we worry about never come to pass, why is it that we borrow worry about everything? Worry about whether or not we're going to have enough. Worry about whether or not our kids are gonna finally choose Christ. Worry doesn't produce anything. And David, in worrying about the situation, he is worrying, it's distress, it's not finally solving the problem. Answer this question, what problem has worry ever solved? None. Worry solves no problems. What solves problems is action. And David knows that the only action that's able to help him to get through what it is that he is facing is confronting this issue by finding strength in the Lord. Worrying about my problem is not going to fix my problem. I have got to find a different strength that comes from a different level. I know what my situation is telling me. That I don't have hope, but I refuse to believe that. I am not going to worry about this, but I'm going to trust that the God that's called me is able to bring me through. And I want to tell you that God wants you to have that same confidence in every situation that you face in life. If God has put you in that situation, he plans for you to get through it. And most of the time, the limitation to receiving the promises of God are our own selves. That refuse to believe and trust the good word that God has spoken over our lives. But David puts his trust in the Lord. I met this one couple, Jeff and Tabitha, man. You ever see J Debbie Downer, the old Saturday Night Live sketch? And everything about life is always going in the other way. You know, I just got a new car. Oh, how exciting you got a new car. Yeah, but it'll probably break down in a couple years. Like, you just got a new car. Well, you know, uh, uh, how's work going? Well, you know, I got a new job, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep it. You know, they're a little bit too hard on me. And I just don't know if I, I'm going to have what it takes to kind of keep this job moving. So they're worrying about an outcome and thus putting themselves in checkmate before they can ever get to where it is they need to go. And we do that same thing. But here David's decided to push worry aside. It's not that the threat isn't real. It's just that his God is more real. And how does he do it? Second thing he does is he gets a word. Then David said to Abiathar, this is verse 7, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David knows that in his own strength, in his own intellect, he doesn't have the ability to navigate what it is that he's currently facing. Therefore, he's not acting on a whim. He's acting and stepping out on a word. And when God gives you a word for your life and gives you a word about your future and gives you a word about your destiny, you can remind yourself of who you are in him, that you are God's anointed for this hour. And if God says pursue, you can pursue, knowing that the victory is always in his hand to begin with. 
You see, so often we fear the things that we face in this world, all of the calamity, all of the financial stress, all of these things in our own power. But David knows that if God has said it, that he can trust in that word and confidence because God is not one that he should lie. His truth is good all the time. And that's whose word we need. If he was trying to go find comfort in those 600 soldiers who had pledged allegiance to him, all he would have gotten was discouragement. I want to tell you something. It's always best to hear from God first. Because that will orient our lives and our actions better than anything in such a way that guarantees our success. David is going to step out, not because he thinks it's a good idea or not because he feels like he has the muscle within himself. There are only 600. This raiding band, by many estimates, is five times as large as these soldiers. We know this. Because those that had camels, which numbered about the many that David was bringing to the battle, rode off when the battle got too thick on the other side. And they fought the many left that didn't have a ride. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Is that God's word is so important to confronting and overcoming our fears. Because Others' words and the words that we tell ourselves are often the most crippling. Many of you can still remember painful words that have been spoken over your life that continue to cripple you to this very day. You can still remember parents' words that harmed you, words of a coworker, a boss, and they stand in front of you like this daunting dragon ready to breathe its fire upon you to consume you totally. But God's word is like a fresh breath of fresh air that breathes new life. I learned this some years ago in my ministry in Florida before coming here. We were, we were doing well. God was working. It was a powerful, awesome time of ministry. And I went to the doctor because I had an incident. I was at, at a restaurant and I thought I was having a stroke. I couldn't form sentences. It was really a bad situation. So I go to the doctor and the doctor does an examination on me and he says that I have a disease. He did a brain scan. The brain scan said, this is it. We're going to do some other tests. This is what you have. I, was like, I just had run 10 miles two days before. What do you mean? This sounds crazy. But that word was like a seed and the inception of that seed in my heart was crippling and was producing anxiety that was magnified by other events that were going on at the same time. It couldn't have been orchestrated better from uh, an attack by the enemy. I remember standing in the pulpit and being uh, someone that no one would notice on the outside, but being so riddled with anxiety, I didn't think I would make it through. Preaching the word and everybody out there excited and shouting and, and glorifying God because of the words. And inside, I don't even know if I'm going to make it through. It was that terrible. And I thought, well, they're going to do another examination in a year. And if I get a, a, a clean medical report, that's going to solve it. The year came. They did another scan. They said, mm, that diagnosis wasn't a good diagnosis. Really what happened is you worked out too hard. Your blood sugar crashed. And that's why you had that issue where you couldn't make sentences. You're fine. Go and live a good life. But you know what? It didn't go away. The doctor's word wasn't enough. 
It was only the word of the Lord that could convince me of that truth because I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak. I kept waiting for something else to happen. But once I, I recognized that it was only God's word, I began to lean into my prayer life. I said, God, I need to hear from you. And I know that this is a path for some and this is necessary for you, but I felt like I wasn't going to take anxiety meds because I was fine before, I'd be fine again. And if God had helped me before, he'd help me again. And so daily I would lean in and I would just seek God's word. And finally, and I'll never forget the day it was, I was just living in my ministry. And the same as someone had turned the light off and darkness came into my life. A little over a year later, it's like the light came back on and I've never dealt with anxiety again. It was gone in a moment, not because it was a whim or not because it was an idea, but I stood on a word that says, if I have promised you a good thing, I will fulfill that good thing for you. Don't worry about what doctors say. Don't worry about what the haters say. Lean into my word because that's where the miracles come. And we saw it. The third thing that we see David do to fear less, was he confronted his fear. The Amalekites that had raided his area, that had taken his children, taken his stuff, burned down this, the, the structures that they had set up, were not far away. But God tells them, go and confront those Amalekites and go get your stuff back, go get your kids back, and be restored. And David's like, okay, that sounds great. Only one problem. The guys I need to come with me into battle all want to kill me. So either I'm going to run in this thing by myself, I'm not sure how that would go, or I could try to encourage these 600 to run with me one more time. Remember, those were the same people that followed him out of Israel when Saul wanted to kill him. Following David got them fired from their job of being soldiers in the Philistine army. And now David's trying to convince them to follow him one more time. I imagine this speech sounded much like William Wallace's did in Braveheart. That he is encouraging these, saying, I know that we have lost today, but we will not lose always. I know that we might seem small today, but in one moment, God can restore and build and create something more massive and awesome than any of us can contain. And I need some people to come alongside of me to face these fears, to run down our destiny, and to believe in the Lord for the good that he can bring. Now that might not have sounded very exciting to you, but to those 600 that were there, they begin to growl and the, the, the tears that have been cried are now being cast off for the shouts of triumph. And they said, yes, one more time. We believe that God has anointed you for this very hour. We're going to face this fear with you and we're going to get back all that was taken from us. So they go into battle, but along the way, 200 said, I don't know. I can't do it. I'm just too tired. It's too much for me. I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm too weak. And so 200 stayed aside. So now it's only 400 running into battle. But they run into battle. And the Bible says that they started at dusk. And they fought all night until the next evening. And listen, not one soldier 
was lost. They were able to retrieve back every one of their wives and children. Not one of them were harmed. They were able to get back all of their possessions that were taken away. And they were also able to plunder the enemy. You see, it wasn't just enough for them to get what it is that was stolen from them. And it's not just enough for you to have your purpose restored to you. God's intention for you is much bigger and much greater than that. His intention for you is to get back even more than was taken from you. So that you can go and give back to those that couldn't make the journey with you. David goes back and some of the men said, let's not give them anything. Why should we? They didn't fight along this side of us. David said, no, we're not going to take the Lord's plunder and hold it for ourselves. But let's encourage them and let them know that when fear faces them again, that God will be their source of help and they too can overcome. Church, that's what the Lord wants us to know today. Is that fear that you are facing in your life, that fear about your health, that fear about your finances, the fear that you feel even in going and taking that risk to do what it is that God would have you do is so small compared to God's power in your life. That one word from the Lord, just one, and victory is yours. I'm so convinced of this though. There are times in scripture where it says, that the Lord fights the battle. And I want to make something clear to you today. The Lord always fights the battle. It is only our job to fight with him. That's it. It is only our job to fight with him. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up. I know that many of you here this morning are wrestling with fear. I don't have to be a prophet to know that. Because I look at your lives and I see where the struggles are. I'm your pastor. I've heard your stories. And I know that the enemy would try to prevent you from being able to embrace all the wonderful things that God has in front of you. And right now, there's this giant fear that's trying to keep you back from your purpose and your destiny in Christ. It's huge. It's daunting. And you have been trying to deny it's there. You're trying to avoid it's there. It's there. You're worrying about it constantly. Today, the Lord finally wants to give you victory over it. Your fear doesn't stand a chance when you stand in his love. It's just true. And I saw that just in the last few weeks. One of our own from our community called me up and said, Pastor, I need you to pray. My mom and my family were in great distress because they found a seven centimeter tumor on her liver. They've done the CT scan and the CT scan has shown that there is an issue that in her liver, it's likely cancer and the doctors are just going to do another scan to confirm, would you pray? I said, yeah, I'm gonna pray with you. So we began to pray together and as we're praying together, he says, to me a couple of days later, well, you know, I know this is unlikely, but maybe we can just pray that it's this benign tumor and that the doctors just can remove it and it'll be nothing. And I said, why why pray a small prayer like that? Why not pray that when they do the next scan, the tumor's gone? So we begin to pray. Now it's Friday, it's the next day. And we're here, 
It's the day of the MRI. And some of the staff and I are praying, praying for you. Praying for you that are sitting in these chairs because we know that there's miracles that are here. First service today, same thing. Now again, that there would be miracles that God would want to do. And my phone keeps blowing up and I see it's this person, but we were praying for you and I didn't have time for that conversation. But he calls me and then a few minutes later he's calling me again and I'm like, why is this guy continuing to call me? So I text him back and said, I'm in prayer, I'll hit you up later. So after prayer, we go across the street. We're having some tzatzikis and some shake shack shakes and just enjoying some fellowship together. My phone starts blowing up again. And I'm like, why won't this guy leave me alone? Just give me a minute. I'll call you back. So I get in my car. I say, I got to go, guys. My phone's blowing up. I got to take this one. I get in the car and talking to my friend. And he says to me, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. I love when sentences start that way. He goes, but they did the MRI. And the doctor's holding up the scan from the first that was taken just a couple of weeks ago. And he's holding up the scan of the second. And he says, you see this right here? That's the tumor. You see this one? This is the new one. There's no tumor. He goes, I don't have an explanation for it. But we say we know who does. That God can reverse a diagnosis with one word. Our job is only to trust that he has the power to do it for us. I don't know what lies you bought into. I don't know what the enemy's trying to convince you of. But I want to tell you that your fear does not stand a chance when God's love shows up. Perfect love drives away all fear. And I believe that in this atmosphere right now, that God wants to reverse some bad words that have been spoken over your life. I believe that right near now in this atmosphere, that things that you've been living with are going to lay down and never come back up again. I believe that right now in this atmosphere, God is going to do something so awesome that the world will take notice and say, only God could have done that. Because I know how beaten tired you were. But look what the Lord has done. I wonder if we can just get on our feet and just begin to worship and sing about it for just a second. Because I believe that there's some power in this place for some miracles. Your fear is... Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.